Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Holidays are quickly approaching, and uh, it's getting to be that busy, busy, busy season. It's busy all the time, but this is like overload season, I think, for a lot of us. You got maybe your in-laws are coming in to stay with you. Every year, you know what's happening. You can't avoid it. It's going down. There's, there's a lot of stuff going on. And so uh, I found a, a visual that I want to flash up for everybody, because isn't this what it feels like sometimes? And sometimes we just got so many balls up in the air, we're juggling, there's so many plates, we're trying to keep them spinning at all times, we, we want that balance, and it's really difficult to do that. But on those rare occasions, everything does seem to fall into place for maybe just a moment, you know, things are good with the spouse, the kids aren't fighting, the boss is content, you had a salad instead of going to McDonald's, the Raiders pick up a win, come on. Don't, don't tell me. I don't want to know. I know the game already started. <laughs> and so I think it, there are rare occasions when it does feel like we get it right, and we just want to say, freeze it. Just freeze it. I just extend it. I just want to rest right there. But for most of the time, I think we would all agree that life feels like it's actually pretty hard. It's pretty hard. And it made me think about the fruit of the Spirit. Because... It's amazing how when you know, we get down or we get into a bad season, how much it changes our mindset, how much it changes our outlook, how much it changes our faith. I mean, it definitely impacts it. Let's see what in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what it's talking about is the fruit of the Spirit is God's Spirit living inside of you. It produces and it yields these things. And it's not only that we get to enjoy and experience those things, but other people see that in us. It's a wonderful thing. And so we think about that today. It's the fruit of the Spirit, but it's the message. It's the crux of the message that if that's God's plan for us, then would you think that the enemy probably is plotting so we don't experience those things? And now, I don't know about you, but as the more I keep looking around, we got to get our joy back. And we got to get our hope back. That's what today's about. Today's about taking some ground back and figuring out how we get hope and joy back in our life. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray it up and we'll get started. Lord, thank you again for just getting us here. Lord, the prayer today is, is hope and joy. And we tend to overcomplicate it, Lord, but I just pray that, that you would show us that all we really need to do is just rest at your feet, and you would show us the path that we need to take. We pray for all these things in your son Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. All right, so for those that are taking notes, the title of the message today is Dare to Hope. Everyone say, I dare to hope. I dare to hope. So we're going to start in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. 29.11 specifically is a great verse. They're all good, but 29.11 is special. It sits on a plaque in our dining room. Uh, it's one of my wife's first verses that really grabbed her. Let's read 29.11. Let's read it. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, 
They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And the first part of that's important. He says, you may not know, but I know I have a plan for you. Do you believe it? It's got to be a yes. It's got to be a yes. And those plans that he has for you are for good. May not feel like it at certain occasions, but they are for good. He knows what he's doing. So that's the foundation for today. We're going to unpack it. We got a lot of kind of scripture to get through. Uh, and so I want to start there. Now, how many of us know that this is the living, breathing word of God? It's not just a history textbook. Amen. But what helps so much is when we understand the context of, of, of when it was written, why it was written, the people that were around during the time and, and understanding that it unlocks a whole nother level of understanding so it can really speak to you. Because that's this, this isn't just a textbook. This is God wants to speak to you through the book. Yeah? So let's take a look at the context. This is helpful for me. If you can flash up the timeline. Now, I created this timeline, and so if there's any questions about, you know, dates or anything, you're in luck. Tyler's back next week. You can debate it with him. All right? So let's take a look at this. We got around 950 B.C. The great Solomon constructs the temple. It's a, it's a huge historic event, the temple. It's a big deal. But shortly after that, things start going downhill pretty quickly. You can see the God's house is divided. Yeah? Israel is, is split into two. You got the north and you got the south. And then it all goes downhill from there. You know the division is not one of God's plans. That's actually the plan of the enemy to divide. Because look what happens once division kicks in. The northern tribe is overtaken by Assyria. Jeremiah, the prophet, actually kicks off his ministry in this season, and we're going to spend the bulk of the time today talking about this, this moment of exile, the season of exile where Israel finds itself. The infamous King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians come in, and they wreak havoc on the tribe of Judah. They attacked three times. Each time they attacked, it wasn't just that they were coming to steal things. They actually took groups of people and deported them into Babylon, and they were physically living in a foreign land under foreign rule. The third time that they attacked is when they actually crushed the city. They burn it to the ground. It's catastrophic. So we're going to take some time and look at what that exile moment, because we can learn so much about that exile time period. Eventually they get out. God doesn't leave them there. And then they reconstruct the temple a second time. Now, when you're reading through the Bible, what's so helpful to understand is that the books of the Old Testament are actually not organized in chronological order. A lot of them actually overlap and describe similar events. And so sometimes it's a little hard to follow because it jumps around a little bit. But if you can see here, these aren't all of them, but a couple of the books, Jeremiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Ezra, Lamentations, they all describe similar events during this time period. We're going to take a look at four of those books. So hopefully this was helpful for you. It was helpful for me as I was getting ready. Okay. Dare to hope. I got four points. Four points. How do we get our hope back? How do we get joy back in our life? And point number one is the concept of fight or flight. Fight or flight. So I want everyone to think about, we talked about the historical context of what exile looked like, but apply it to your own life. What does exile look like for you? Maybe you're in a rough season and it's easy to go there right now because you're, you're living it. Maybe you just got out. We've all had tough seasons. So I want, let's just not think about the historics. Let's think about me and what exile means to me. 
what's the posture that we find ourselves in? Because I know when I get in a tough season, the, the line of questioning begins. How did I get here? Why am I here? How could this happen to me? Why am I being punished? Etc. 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 And then somewhere along the line, there's a question of like, where is the nearest exit? How do I get out of exile? You know what I mean? And you don't stay there forever. We've all been in tough seasons and eventually God does get you out and you notice that somewhere along the way, the posture had to change. It had to go from the the, the, the woe is me and the pity game and looking for every exit to actually leaning in to God himself. The fight or flight concept that we're talking about here is instead of trying to run away, you lean into God because he and he alone is the one that can show you out of that exile season. Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a look at where we see this play out during this time period of exile. In Jeremiah 29, we read that God gives us some hope and a pretty good promise in 29.11. But before that, let's take a look at what he says. Now, Jeremiah is a prophet during this time period, but he was not deported. Jeremiah actually was still in Judah, so they didn't take everybody. There were some people that were actually left behind. I'm not sure what was worse, to actually be in the city while the thing was burning down and watching. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar was, was a really bad guy. It says he slaughtered women and children. I mean, it was just, it was the worst of the worst. So Jeremiah is still in Judah. He's writing a letter from Jerusalem to his people that are in exile in Babylon on behalf of the Lord. Okay? All right. Verse 4, it says this. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Imagine trying to receive that. I mean, come on, man. You're, you're, you're in Babylon under foreign rule, and you've watched just your whole life be torn apart, and you get a letter and it says, Hey, man, you better plan to get comfy. It's tough to probably receive that if you were in that situation. But I think what's so important, what God's saying is sometimes we spend so much time looking for the exit and so much time with the self-pity that we miss the instructions for how to actually get out of the pit. Because look at what verse 13 says. Verse 13 says, if you look for me, what? If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. He's there. This, this is so important, this concept of wholehearted love for the Lord. He doesn't just want part of your heart. He doesn't want half of your heart. He doesn't want most of your heart. He wants the whole thing. Now you get to a point where you can wholeheartedly surrender your situation to the Lord. He will take you out of that pit. Amen? All right, that's point number one. Fight or flight. Let's get to point number two. How do we hope again? How do we restore joy back in our life? This is a good one. There's freedom and breakthrough in exile, not just for yourself, but for the other people around you too. The, the easy place to go is like, yeah, well, of course there's exile or freedom for me. I want out, of course. But never underestimate 
who God's going to align you with and put in your path, even in your worst seasons. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've felt like hopeless, the least qualified, the most broken, just in a terrible season, and yet somehow I find myself speaking in to someone else. It can be one of the most therapeutic and biggest times of healing for you. But again, sometimes we're so focused on ourselves, and we're so focused on how dire the situation is looking for a way out that we might miss someone that God has aligned us with. Don't miss it. Let's take a look at where this is pretty evident. Let's go to the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel is a pretty well-known book, a pretty well-known character in the Bible. There's a lot of awesome things that happen in Daniel. It's a book about like unshakable faith with Daniel. You got guys that go into a furnace that don't get burned. Daniel goes into the lion den himself and doesn't get eaten. The Daniel fast comes out of the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel, if you understand the context of the book, is not writing this while he's on vacation. Daniel was deported. He's one of the ones that's in exile in Babylon. And yet nowhere in the book of Daniel do you find him whining, complaining, moaning, trying to work together a plan on how to get out. No, Daniel's wholeheartedly surrendered to the Lord. And what does the Lord do? You know that none of us, we never need to self-promote because the Lord will promote for you. The Lord will find a way to make you credible. That's exactly what happens with Daniel. Daniel stays strong in his faith. He refuses to, to, to bow down to the huge statue that Nebuchadnezzar builds. But he's in this terrible situation, but he is strong. Now let's look at what this does with Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 4, verse 33, it says this. That same hour the judgment was fulfilled and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. The tables have turned. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar finds himself in a little bit of a predicament. It's interesting that the guy that was so responsible for this terrible exile period, now finds himself in exile. But let's look at what his response is. It says in verse 34, After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshipped the Most High, and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? Let's pause it right there. How can that be? This guy erected a 90-foot statue, told everyone, you must bow and worship it. This is your idol. This is your God. He ran. He's done so much harm, and yet here he is in a complete turnaround, life-changing moment, recognizing the most high. How? Well, it's God, but it's God influenced through Daniel because Daniel was promoted time and time again to the point where he got to be the right-hand person in Nebuchadnezzar's court. And so he had influence over the king. If Daniel was whining and complaining and moaning in the fight or flight, Daniel trying to take off, 
he prevents Nebuchadnezzar from potentially having his breakthrough moment. But you know what the, the point? Go back to it. Your exile could mean freedom and breakthrough for not just yourself, but somebody else. Amen? You see it? It's an amazing turn of events, man. It's huge. All right, let's play chess. Shane, uh, Darnell, come on up. Let, let, let's get into our little demonstration here. <laughs> hey, give him a hand. Give him a hand. So strong. So strong. All right. Now, here, here's, here's what we're going to do. The chessboard, every square represents a season in your life. Now, God is moving the pieces around on the chessboard according to his will. And Jeremiah 29, 11 said that he has plans. We don't know what those plans are, but he knows. So he knows what he's doing when he's moving the pieces. All right, Shane, grab a square anywhere over in that section of the board. That's a good one. I'm going <clears> to <throat> grab this one here. Mine's not a good one. This square represents exile for me. All right, let, let, let's replay what we've talked about. Why me? I can't believe I'm in this square. How did I end up in this square? And of course, how do I get out of this square? There's so many squares on this board. Any square would be better than the one that I'm in. And you know what? Shane looks pretty great. And he looks like he's got some room in his square. And so I, I would love to figure out the shortest, quickest, easiest path to get out of my square and somewhere even just in the perimeter of Shane. We tend to do that a little bit. Or no one, no one in this church would ever do this. But then there's always this one. Shane, of all people, in that square? Come on. I mean, look at me. If anybody, I should be in that square, not Shane. Here's the message with the board. we got to own our square. you got to own your square. When you own your square, man, there's, there's freedom in that square. There's breakthrough in that square. There's love. There's grace. There's kindness. There's mercy. Come on now. It's, it's all there. It's all in the square. But if you're too busy focused on how bad the situation is or too busy focused on all the other squares on the board, you'll miss it. Don't miss it. God moves the pieces around according to his will, and he happens to move Darnell right here next to me in this square. Now, here's the part about Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> I'm in a valley, man. Give me some space. <laughs> We get, we get trapped here, and so uh, Darnell says, hey, man, you want to go grab lunch? And, and our posture sometimes, what we think is like, if you knew what was going on in my square, you would not want anything to do with lunch with me right now. I got nothing to give you. I don't feel like socializing. It's the last thing I feel like doing right now is going to lunch with somebody. But God put them next to you. There's a purpose that Darnell is put in your path. What if you go out to lunch and it was as simple as this? Darnell says, hey, man, how you doing? And you're just, just a tiny, a sliver bit honest. And you just say, dude, to be honest, I'm kind of struggling a little bit. And he says, oh, really, man? Me too. If it ended right there, that is a victory. That's a win. Yeah, that's a win. 
Because just to know that you're not in the pit by yourself can be the first step to get out. Don't miss it. Or we're so focused on Shane because he looks so amazing in that square over there that we don't even see Darnell. We don't even see him. We don't hear him. We're so focused on everything else. We miss it completely. And you know what? What if it was this? What if this conversation happened with Darnell? I'm going to take that in just a second. Hold that clap. I, what if you go out to lunch with Darnell and, 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 and you, you're honest with him and you say, yeah, dude, I'm kind of struggling and here's kind of what's going on. Darnell says, you're not going to believe this. I've been in that square. And I'm still here. I made it out. Let me share with you a little bit about how God helped me out of that square. Don't miss it. Amen? Amen. All right. Now you can clap. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, those <clears throat> visuals are always helpful for me. Hopefully it was helpful for you guys, too. All right. Let me get, uh, let's see. Let's get back on track here. I don't use a laptop because I'm always afraid like the, the technology is going to kill me. And I work in technology. <laughs> it's so, <laughs> I print out my stuff. All right. <clears throat> Point number three, how do we get our hope back? How do we get our joy back? Point number three is get comfortable being uncomfortable. Some of you are like, I get it. Don't even need to preach on it. Just go to number four. I'm uncomfortable right now. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about it for just a minute. In Jeremiah 29, 11, we've already talked about it a few times. It says that God has plans and, and they are for good and they're for hope. They're for a future. Nowhere in that verse does it say it's for your comfort. God doesn't want you to be in pain and suffering all the time, but he is more concerned about your well-being than your comfort. He's more concerned about your heart than your comfort. He's more concerned with your promise and your calling than your comfort. He's more concerned with your salvation than your comfort. Don't miss your calling because you're comfortable. You got to embrace being uncomfortable because he's got more for you. It's, it's, it's a really important point that comfort can almost, to be totally blunt, comfort can become an idol at times. So we got to be careful. Let's take a look at where we see this play out. Now, remember, same time period in exile, we're going to take a look at Ezra. Now, Ezra was a, a scribe. He was a priest. He wrote several books in the Old Testament. Uh, he's describing in the beginning part of Ezra, actually, a turnaround and where things, they happen to start becoming out of exile. So let's take a look at Ezra chapter 1, verse 1. In the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's out. Babylon is out. Persia is in and Cyrus is in. There's been a regime change. It says, he stirred the heart of Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and to send it throughout his kingdom. This is what, the king, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah to rebuild this temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. 
and may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock, as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Things are looking up. Well, think about it. Nebuchadnezzar, they go from that to God moving the pieces on the board and King Cyrus being put into rule. And he says, I'm not only going to give you freedom, everything that they took from you, we're going to give you back. They went and took all this stuff from the temple. They gave it all back to him. I mean, this is, this is a pretty big moment. And I was confused because in verse 5 it says, Then God stirred the hearts of the priests and Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. What do you mean God had to stir the hearts of the people from Judah? And they've been locked up in exile for 70 years. And the gates of freedom just swung wide open. And you'd think that they would make a beeline right back home. But they didn't. God had to stir their heart to get them to move. Don't let comfort get in the way of the calling. You got to be ready, man. You got to be ready to get a little bit uncomfortable because God said that's not the final destination. It's just a stop on the journey. That's all that was. And the people are probably like, hey, but you sent us a letter and you told us to build homes and, right? No, it wasn't the final destination. God's got more. In verse 10 of chapter 3, it says, When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their places to blow their trumpets. The Levites, descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song to the Lord. He is so good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. Hallelujah. That's a big deal. There's a but in the next verse. Verse 12 says, But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. What? You had some of the OGs, if you will. The older people that had seen what the first temple looked like. And because they knew what the first temple looked like, they said, yeah, this, isn't, this doesn't quite live up to my standards. It, it doesn't say they shed a tear. It says they were weeping. It was loud. They were like having a full-on meltdown over this. And I think, here's the visual I got when I'm reading this. God says, you're missing it. You're missing it. As Hebrews say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's infinite. You put him in a box and you think that you can just have him in the temple? No way. God said, I just had you in exile for 70 years doing heart surgery. Apparently, some of you still need a little bit more. And don't miss your calling or your promise because you're comfortable. we got to embrace sometimes that God's going to push the little birdie out of the nest and teach him how to fly. Amen? Amen? All right. Okay, 
Last and final point, how do we hope again? How do we get joy back in our life again? We're going to look at lamentations. Worship team, take your time, but you guys can start coming on up. Now, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah also. How many of us know that, the, that prophets are a little more sensitive than the rest of us? They, they hear things a little differently, see things a little bit differently, and they, they mourn and grieve just like the Lord mourns and grieves. And so Jeremiah writes Lamentations as he's lamenting about how dire the situation is. And in chapter 3, Jeremiah says, The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss, yet I still dare to hope. What do you mean, Jeremiah? What do you mean you still dare to hope? You just said that the thought of your suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. You can't even describe how bad it is. And you also said that you'll never forget how bad it is right now. What do you mean you still dare to hope? Jeremiah says, let me tell you exactly what I mean and exactly where I get my hope. I'll tell you right now. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. You want to get hope and joy back in your life. Are you putting hope in your job? Are you putting hope in your finances? Are you putting hope in your relationships? Are you putting hope into what the world has to offer? You're going to be disappointed. You want joy and hope, man. Put it with the Lord, the Most High. Because it says right here, he's so good that his faithful love never ends. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Grace and forgiveness and love and mercy and patience and kindness and everything that he is, it's as dependable as the sun rising each and every day. You can hope in that. I want to go back to this pattern that we've seen. Chapter 29 in the NLT has a subtitle. It's a letter to the exiles. God says, you're there. We tell you why you're there. We tell you how to get out. But he says, keep reading. Because chapter 30, the subtitle is promises of deliverance. Keep reading. Chapter 31, hope for restoration. Exile, deliverance, restoration. Over and over and over again. What's the hope for restoration in chapter 31? God says, I gave your ancestors a covenant. You broke it. I'm so good, I'm giving you another one. In the midst of one of the worst times in Israel, it's the first time that the new covenant is mentioned in Jeremiah. What's he say? 
You broke the covenant, but I'm gonna give you a new one. I'm gonna put the instructions deep within you. I'm gonna write it on your heart. I will forgive your wickedness and I will never again remember your sins because I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, who's gonna come, save you from your sins, die on the cross, and he's gonna raise to heaven salvation. Exile, deliverance, restoration. I'm gonna end on a story. Recently, I was uh, blessed enough to find myself in a position to move into a promotion at work. It's great. As I was preparing for the process for that, I dusted off an old file and it was an interview deck that was dated three years almost to the date prior. So I'd interviewed for that same job three years ago. I went down memory lane and I was thinking, remember that time? Remember that time when my boss pulled me into his office and said, hey man, have you thought about the next step? And I said, well, yeah, I thought about it, working towards it. And he goes, well, there, there could be an opportunity in Southern California to run the, the Southwest. Are you interested? And I said, well, do you think I'm ready? He said, yeah, man, I think you're ready. Come on, surround yourself with people that see the potential in you. Never forget that. So I said, well, I'm pretty sure that's gonna require a relocation before I even embark on that conversation with my wife. Uh, I need to talk to our VP and I just need to make sure like, is this kind of practice for the process to get some experience or is this legit? She said, no, it's legit. We're not giving you the job, but you're a serious contender. I said, all right, talk to my wife. And in one of the highlights of our marriage, because that was not an easy conversation, she supported me, she put herself big moment for us. So I said, I'm all in. A week before the interview process, my boss says, I'm out of here. And I'm like, all right, well, you run Northern California in the Northwest and this job is here. And now there's two of these jobs that are open. God, you are so good. I see what you're up to. I see you. Until I interviewed and got none. Swing and miss on both. And so I find myself in that exile square of how, why? I don't understand. Closed door, closed door. A couple more opportunities came up shortly after that. Closed door, closed door. I wanted to quit, wanted to run, wanted to have a pity party, the whole thing. But you know what was so special? Closed door, closed door, closed door, but the biggest door swung wide open. It's when God took my heart. So put that promotion on hold. I'm more interested in you and your heart than a promotion. I got healing during that three year period was a victim of something in my childhood that I had carried so much guilt and shame and condemnation I thought I would take it to the grave. It brought a mess into our marriage. I got healing from that during that three-year time period. My marriage restored. My identity as a child in God restored. 
And he is so good that three years later, I used that experience in my interview process to talk about how much I had grown, how much I had matured, on and on and on, and found myself in that job. It was the, just the cherry on top. God is so good. I hope that you're able to find some hope today, to find some joy today. Would you bow your heads? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.